one of the best weeks in video games in a long time. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to get you through a workout or a run. We're going to help you out. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Squarespace, Mac Weldon, and Fireside. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose battery life is just about three hours, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, listeners. A special hello to everyone that looks, thinks, and sounds like me. And an even more special hello to everyone who looks, sounds, and thinks differently than me. And if any time I say something on this show that you disagree with, I always welcome your feedback and intelligent discussion. And you can email me directly at christian.spicer at gmail.com. I love uh, our audience. We've had some great chats on the subreddit. And if anyone ever wants to hit me directly, that is the way to do it. I welcome the discussion. Awesome, dude. Hey, I got some uh, I got some announcements right here at the top of the show. Actually, uh, one announcement and one sort of tease of an announcement. Um, the first is that I am going to be a special guest at Board Game Geek Con this year. Uh, I think it's already sold out. So if you don't have tickets, <laughs> I think you're big sorry. But uh, yeah, they reached out to me and uh, along with uh, Rich Sommer and um, Eric Lang, I'm going to be a, a special guest there in November in Dallas. Uh, I'm very, very excited. Could not be more excited. And those of you who uh, are missing, I know I've gotten a lot of tweets and, uh, and emails in the last few weeks uh, missing the Tabletop Time segment. Um, the second announcement is something that I think will make up for that a little bit. Um, I can't really tell you what it is yet, but tomorrow <laughs> I will. Tomorrow I will. Uh, I'm going to be doing something very cool with Anchor. So uh, stay tuned to my Twitter feed for that. That's going to be at Jeff Kanata. Um, I can't tell you today, but I can tell you tomorrow. So um, yeah, what if I'm listening to this tomorrow? Then, uh, then look at my Twitter feed oh, okay. immediately. <laughs> uh, awesome. But oh my gosh, as I mentioned, this is – um, probably the best first three months of a year in the history of video games. Certainly one of the most exciting weeks. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We are definitely going to be switch it up. Uh, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. Uh, you know, the DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because DLC stands for draw a leisure circle. Because when you do that, you get a game spot and oh, we okay. have got we have got game spot senior <laughs> reviews editor uh mr peter brown hey peter how's it going gentlemen hello i am wonderful awesome yes you are we're very excited to have you uh i was delighted to read your your zelda breath of the wild review on GameSpot, and have been following your stuff for a while so uh, we're excited to have you we're going to dive into that in the playlist section of the show but uh, this week was also GDC and some other big news. So we have to start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, that is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Peter, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, what would you consider to be your story of the week? Oof. That's a tough one. Um, <clears throat> as someone who really appreciates older games and keeping them alive, uh, I think I'm actually kind of smitten with Microsoft's uh, Game Pass announcement. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, about 10 bucks, and you have access to over 100 games uh, from their past libraries, which includes... Uh, is it original Xbox games as well, or does it just go back to 360? It looks like pieces together. Yeah, it looks like at this point it's just uh, 360, but you know they certainly have the ability to do that. And it sounds sure. like... Uh, there's a you know large library there for them to choose from. Um, this you know there people are saying the Netflix of of games as we've often seen a lot of people try to do the Netflix of games, but it it actually isn't streaming. It's uh, download games to your hard drive, download games and play them locally. Um, but as as you said, you get uh, over over a hundred games already uh, with titles like Halo Five Guardians and Payday Two and NBA Two K Sixteen and Soul Calibur. Um, so. This is cool. Is this something that you will find yourself uh, subscribing to? Potentially, yeah. Um, you know, I dabbled with the PlayStation Now service back when that launched. Um, and as you stated, you know, this isn't streaming. And so the streaming solution I tried was kind of hit and miss. Um, so this might actually be a better solution for me. Now, granted, as a reviews editor, I'm never short of games to play. But right. um, at the same time, I am sort of looking for reasons to continue playing my Xbox. So if I feel the need to jump in there, this is probably the thing that's going to get me to do it. Because uh, I don't see a lot of exclusives on the way. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, this might keep my Xbox plugged in. Although, you know, um, um, Spectre said that, or no, who was it? Uh, yeah, Phil Spectre, right? Phil, no, Phil, not, Phil Spencer. My brain's not working this morning. He said there's going to be a whole bunch of, uh, of, of exclusives announced this year, that we're going to see more exclusives this year than last year. So I, I remain hopeful. This but year, four. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> One more than last year. Um my question to you, uh, Peter, is is nine ninety nine. What do you think about that price point? Is that the sweet spot, or is it a little more expensive or less expensive than you expected? I'd or say that's that's probably a sweet spot, at least for now. Um, I think if you look at a lot of the you know video streaming services, it's it's right you know in line with them. I think it's the price people are comfortable paying. Right, it doesn't yeah. hit that that ten dollar threshold, even though it's just one penny beneath. <laughs> right, the ninety nine <laughs> philosophy we've talked about many it. times. Uh, Christian, you have. You have uh, talked about the Netflix of video games for a long time. You think that's the future. You've been on record saying that's where we're all going to be eventually. This isn't quite that, but it's kind of kind of your vision. Uh, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a step in the direction, right? And this announcement paired with a console like the Switch, um, yeah, like <laughs> we just need the better bandwidth to make the PlayStation now and this like all, I want all of this. The 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 caveat, the big caveat to all of this is uh I know they signed a bunch of publishers or developers kind of along with this deal, but I do think as we approach the Netflix of of gaming, publishers and developers need to be very aware and have their eyes wide open as to what could possibly happen because itunes came along and bit a lot of music publishers on, on on the butt on their way in and on their way out netflix dominated everything with content acquisitions and you're just now seeing we're still living in the world of everybody else spiraling out and trying to create their own um you know oh the cbs app <laughs> five bucks uh, cbs um and you're seeing licensing negotiation becoming 
becoming more expensive and more difficult. Like if we get into that Netflix of video games and Microsoft Game Pass, this thing takes off, you know, what money is Ubisoft getting? And are they going to create their own Game Pass? Like that's the problem in this world where you have one big gatekeeper creating the quote unquote marketplace or access point to the streaming of games or to the games as a service or game service business. It's convenient for the consumer if there's one but that really can screw over every other developer and publisher if there's only one. So it's kind right. of that, it's what a, are we going to do future? It's a strange, uh, you know, we're sort of uh, automatically leaping to analogy with Netflix and television, but it's not, it's a flawed analogy, right? Because this is, there's no, there's no equivalent to the platform being uh, the place that you pay for the subscription, right? This is, you know, uh, movies obviously are platform agnostic. So you have, theoretically, you could have Microsoft, uh, having a subscription, you know, Sony having a subscription, Nintendo having a subscription. So these things are tied to the platform and then the games that are on the platform are, uh, are the, are the games that you're getting, but, but that's where streaming gets rid of that, right? Like these are all steps in the direction of a, not one console future of a one service or several service future. Well, I, I was going to reinforce your point and say that I don't think publishers are going to be down for that, right? I don't think that you're like, you're talking about Ubisoft or EA or they, they want to be the people that you pay your money to not, not the platform holder. I also think I, mean, I want to be the person people pay their money to too, and so does Peter. But you know, I don't think we're going well, to be launching the thing. Well, you don't have any control over any IP. Uh, the you know the I think the the difference here is that so far, at least, nobody is doing this for the new releases. It's this is only at this point a way to revitalize a revenue stream for a basically dormant. A group of games, right? I mean, there are some good games here that didn't come out terribly long ago, but they had their window in the sh- in the sun, and now this is a way to sort of, you know, monetize things that nobody is particularly rushing out to the store to buy. So it's it, sure. it's a little different. Do you think, Peter, that we could see something in the game I've seen thrown around online is something like Sea of Thieves be exclusive to this? Is that a world with that you could foresee in the next four years, two years, where games launch exclusively on Game Pass? Christian, did you just confirm a four-year delay for Sea of Thieves? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I might have confirmed it coming out. I don't know what's the big <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put anything past you know any publisher or business who's trying to sort of you know find their unique pitch. Uh, in a in a pretty crowded marketplace, um, I, I'd be shocked to see Microsoft do that. But again, like that might be the thing that helps them differentiate themselves is sort of beefing up a service like this. And you know, Sea of Thieves is not a small game, but it's also not like a, a top tier game. So maybe that would be a good candidate for testing the waters and something you know in terms of exclusive stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think you're in that catch twenty two, right? You you want a game that is big enough that people will be drawn to the system because the game is such a, you know, system seller. Um, but then you don't want something that it's going to enrage the fan base because it's like, Oh, I have to pay for a subscription in order to get the, you know, the halo that I want or whatever. Um, so it's a tough position to be in. I, I think it's an interesting proposition. And I do think that the 10 bucks is, is kind of the sweet spot here that it makes people feel like, Oh yeah, I could see myself buying it. When you get to 15 for some reason, psychologically, I find that to be a little bit more daunting. Um, Interesting. Um, I don't think I'll buy this stuff because I'm I'm kind of always chasing the newest, latest, best. But um, you know, it's it's a cool option. Christian, how about you? We got a got a story of the week. 
Yeah, there are a couple of big ones. I want to touch on on one thing because I don't know if Russ will touch on it. Um, it came out when Oculus slashed the the prices on the headset and touch controller bundle. So I can just mention this quickly. It's two hundred bucks less if you want to do both of those. But I think the bigger story, the bigger story of all of this is Brendan Aribe. However you say his last name, Irib um, Aribe confirmed that Palmer Lucky's not dead. Um, and he's still working in an active capacity on, what was it, future high t- high-end VR, which I was like, this is the first time the company's admitted he's a human being still. And two, I wonder what he would need to do to get fired and what he adds to a project. Like, had they not said his name for so long, I was just like, okay, they put him in a little, you know, they gave him an internal corner office, right? Like, Palmer, here's your office. <laughs> and they're like, lock it. Um, but like, what does he do? If you believe the facts alleged by Zenimax that he is, you know, a buffoon in a business suit uh, and doesn't understand this stuff. And then he creates negative headlines for the company kind of ever since he started talking after the sale. Um, what, what, what is the value out of this guy? And why do you keep him around? And why do you bring him up in the middle of a conference that talks about a, a price drop? And now I don't even care about that. I just want to know more about this guy. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I I, uh, I do think it's they have wisely not talked about him since, you know, his sort of uh, numerous gaffes and faux pas, uh, to put it lightly. So I, I don't know. I, I think that um, they are really trying to craft a, a positive message here of dropping the price and, and putting out some really impressive software. I mean, at GDC, they were showing some incredible games and then dropping Robo Recall for free uh, for touch uh, controller owners, uh, I think is a, is a cool thing to do for their fan base as well. And but the worst possible week to drop that. What are you doing? Hey, two of the <laughs> biggest games in a new console just came out. Let's put out this. What that like? That's being sent out to die, right? What a it's crazy. Anyway, well, not, neither here nor there. But I just I don't, don't think it, it, it doesn't live or die. It, it is it's a free thing. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you know, who doesn't download it? I don't if you own the Touch already. I don't. I don't know. I mean, Peter, have you followed any of this Oculus and Palmer Lucky and Zenimax lawsuit stuff? Uh, followed a little bit. I was just kind of hoping to get some sweet tidbits of uh, John Carmack because he is so snide, but also he goes so deep into things that no one understands. <laughs> Always fascinating. Yeah, um, he like throws shade in a way that you can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, and it's it's certainly been interesting, I guess, for lack of a better word, to watch Palmer Lucky. Uh, you know, his whole persona change. Uh, over the past few months, um, it's Oculus has, you know, more than ever an uphill battle in front of them, I think. And uh, I don't know if the price drop is really going to be the thing that makes the difference for them. I think it's going to be software. Um, so, yeah, you know, for me also showcasing or releasing Robo Recall now is maybe not the best way to, to take the spotlight for them. Um, it's... It's a, it's a tricky thing. I was a huge advocate for VR and I, you know, for years was uh, very positive about Oculus and, and, you know, HTC and a lot of the games as well. But I've just found myself fall off uh, pretty much since Edge of Nowhere. That was the last VR game that I really committed a lot of time to uh, because there, I just I'm not seeing the software that really speaks to me at the moment. So, yes, the lawsuit and the timing of software is definitely tricky for Oculus, not to mention Palmer, of course. 
Well, I put a lot of time into Robo Recall this week. We'll talk about that in the VR segment. But um, I also was very, very impressed with some of the stuff that I saw at GDC. GDC is is really the conference for VR at this point of the of the sort of major conferences. And everywhere you went, there was there was VR stuff. Um, lots of really cool things on the horizon, especially coming from Oculus Studios. I mean, they announced three games that. Um, uh, that I hadn't heard about before, A Mage's Tale, which is sort of a, a loose tie-in to Bard's Tale, uh, from Other Suns, which is basically the VR No Man's Sky that we all wanted, and um, a third one. I can't remember what the third one is, but, um, you know, and, I'm, and they... I'm making a move game, an Oculus move game, where you reach into ZeniMax's studios with your hand and you take their code. <laughs> hilarious uh anyway I, I think some of the other interesting stuff in in this story that he brought up is that um you know exactly what what you were saying peter which is that they see it as a two-pronged approach they got you know all of the feedback that they got from the audience was that they it, you know it's too expensive so they're trying to bring the price down and that people want good software and so they're really trying both um both things by, you know, having a, a very robust 2017. I think there's a, there's a big game coming out every month from Oculus, which is, which is better than Nintendo. And, um, they also, he said, uh, that the next iteration of the, of the headset isn't coming anytime soon. Yeah, he and, said two years. I think he said, if you invest, cause that was the question, right? Like if I'm, yeah. it's still not cheap, right? It's cheaper, but we're still talking an expensive peripheral or, you know, expansion to your PC. Uh, and he's like, well, if you buy this now, you'll be happy with it for at least two years. And then he said, and I think we'll see people using the original headsets for years after we introduce the next iteration, which is the right thing to say, right? <laughs> you don't want to be right. like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 cheaper. P.S. Sucker, here's the new one. Right. Uh, they also said they, can't, they he's not disclosing sales, but that they're very comfortable with where they are today. I mean, he's not going to say anything other than that, obviously, PR wise. But uh, I don't think they're going anywhere. And I don't think it's it's panic. Town. You don't? I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they're going away. I think this is a long-term play for Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going so... Sh- I don't know. I'm curious to see. I, I think as handheld... Handheld? I can't... <laughs> just throw a weird accent in it. As handheld tech gets more and more advanced, I think we're going to see more things going that way. And then like Microsoft's out, I always get it wrong, outward in or inward out, but that not needing sensors, not needing trackers, like yeah. just clip on a thing and wear it. And I think this version of, of the, the tech tethered to a, to a PC, I think we'll look back at this and, and our kids, Jeff will just be like, you losers. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for that. You know, I want the, that inside out tracking. I, I'm, I'm thrilled and I can't wait for the next iteration of, of the Oculus, except that I can wait because I don't want to <laughs> throw mine in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of throwing things in the garbage, NVIDIA announced a new video card. So congratulations, your video card is now garbage. Throw it in the garbage. Uh, the GTX 1080 Ti, which uh, at $700 is more powerful than their $1,200 Titan X. So congratulations, people that bought the Titan X two months ago. Uh, you've been played as chumps by, by NVIDIA. Uh, really, really unfortunate there. Uh, it's going on sale March 10th. Uh, it's going to have uh, a bunch of whiz bang features that, you know, uh, 3,500 cores and 11 gigs of, uh, GD. I think the big thing, right, was 4k 60 frames. Like, and it's going to be a beast for VR. They say it's 35% faster than the, than the 1080, uh, and, uh, really built for VR. So, um, my goodness, I want one. That's expensive, but it's not. 
don't get me wrong. I realize what I'm about to say, but it's not that expensive. When because well, you it's say twelve hundred dollars for the Titan, you know, right? And and a year ago, the old Titan was also like fifteen hundred dollars or whatever it was. Like this, this is insane. What Nvidia has done in the last twelve months in terms of graphic card announcements and releases and constantly upping the ante. It's crazy. Well, you got to know that that they rolled them out. No, the TI was done when the 1080 came out, right? So they've staggered these releases out in a very intentional way. It's not like they went, guess what? We just figured out how to get 35% better. (laughs) They they had this roadmap at the beginning of the process. And it just sucks that their customers who get all excited about the new card are just strung along like this. It's a such a bummer. But I guess that's technology for you. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> for like one of the best weeks in gaming, our tagline is, that's such a bummer. Well, that's technology. <laughs> uh, my actual story of the week, though, uh, is the, the big uh, Nindies release for Nintendo. Uh, just as, as Nintendo's Switch uh, is, is released this week and people are like, uh, what are we going to play on it other than Zelda? Uh, Nintendo says, guess what? Every independent game you've ever wanted to play. Uh, 62 indie titles were announced at their, uh, at their event, including, uh, Stardew Valley, uh, Overcooked, which is pretty exciting, uh, Ukulele. Uh, so hey, Ukulele is going to be on a Nintendo system, guys. That's pretty cool. Uh, Thumper. Uh, what do we got? Ultimate Chicken Horse, which is actually a really fun game. And if, if it supports like local multiplayer on the on the Joy Cons, could be a blast. Binding of Isaac, uh, Shovel Knight. These are some big big games. What do you guys think about this, Peter? What do you think? Um, is the Switch going to be what the Vita was trying to be? The uh, the ind- the home for portable independence. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think uh, so. Having played Switch almost a hundred hours in the past two weeks. Um, and being someone who is a big fan of Vita. Divided by how many games that 100 hours, though? Uh, two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically. Um, but, you know, like, I love the Vita. I think it's a comfortable system to hold, but the the size of the screen and just the ergonomics of the Switch make it an immediately more attractive system for me to pick up and play. Um, so I think I'll be happy to replay a lot of these, you know, indie games that are being ported. Um and, you know, where the Vita maybe didn't take off, I don't know that the Switch will struggle in that same regard, um, as long as games like As Good As Zelda keep coming and not just from Nintendo. So that, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think it's going to be, uh, I think the time might be right for something like this, where when the Vita came out, the market just didn't really need it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, I think this is the kind of announcement, though, that just reinforces someone's already made decision. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it, nobody's going to, in my opinion, and correct me if you disagree, but in my opinion, nobody would, is buying this thing to play the indie games. I mean, maybe there'll be a bunch of real Stardew Valley, you know, super fans that want to play it portably and cool for them. But I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, I was already going to get this thing for Zelda, but I kind of felt a little bit guilty that there wasn't a lot of other stuff to do on it. So now I feel a little reassured. Like it isn't a system seller idea. It's a system reinforcer idea. Does that yeah. agree? Yes. Yeah. Christian, what do you think? Um, is this good stuff? Is this, is this, I mean, you are always a big fan of the Vita. Is this the, the Vita Redux? Yeah. I mean, I love my Nintendo Vita. Um, I love that I have, <laughs> that I have a Vita that has a full, uh, control suite, you know, every, every button that a regular controller has. I, I, uh, that is huge. Even for indie games, I will never say, 
Nintendo's word for indies, by the way. Get out of here. You're not taking... What, I'll say it once. Nintendo, if you, want, if you want a Nindy, make it yourself. You don't get to take other people's games and put an N in front of it. And pretend. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a great system for it. And I think, you know, Christian, go ahead. They, are, they are ninnovating very, very strongly. <laughs> I have to drop all in from everything I say. Oh, they're hot. Um, <laughs> Uh, to Peter's point, I think what makes the Switch such a compelling uh, device for this portable independent games is that while the Vita was fantastic, like I don't think the Vita was trying to be it. I think it succeeded in being it. But where I think the Switch can be even better is that the Switch is Nintendo's system. So if you want to play the Nintendo games, you're buying it. So you already have this system that now serves as your gateway drug to all these great independent games. Whereas the Vita, you know, you could be you'd have the PS3 or the PS4. And so the reason to get the Vita is not, if you want to play Uncharted, you better get a Vita. Well, no, there was a, a pretty okay Uncharted on it, but the real ones were on the other console. Here it's, if you want the real Nintendo games, you get this, and now you can also go play Shovel Knight, um, which is fantastic. If you haven't had the thing to play that on before, um, that'd be the first one I would recommend picking up. I think it's big. I think it's big. In uh, the chat, R. Lopez465 says, uh, The Witness and Braid on the Switch, please. Um, so he wants Jonathan Blow's games there. Uh, what I'm hoping for is that we will get some some independent games, uh, independent developers that are putting out their games day and date on switch. I think that would be really cool. Like, Hey, it's going to be on steam, but it's also going to be on switch. Um, maybe we'll see that and maybe that'll make it seem more like, uh, a, you know, first place destination rather than an afterthought destination. Yeah. Um, I think it could, could be beneficial. Um, all right, guys. I mean, we're, we're sort of burying the lead here because uh, really when we want to talk about the, the games and the, and the, the, the switch and horizon and all the stuff that's come out this week. So let us move right on. But first I want to thank our sponsor Squarespace. Oh my goodness. Squarespace. Uh, our next move is talking about the Nintendo switch and uh, all the great games that we've been playing. But what is your next move? If your next move involves something on the internet, your next move should be with Squarespace because Squarespace helps you make beautiful websites and makes you able to do that easily and quickly. I've been using Squarespace uh, for nigh on diggity diggity years. It's been like a, about a decade that I've uh, I've been using Squarespace and happily so. I recommend it to all my friends and family. JeffCanada.com is is housed on Squarespace, was built on Squarespace. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way because it, I'm not an HTML developer. I don't, I don't, I'm not a coder. I, those days are behind me. I want ease of use. I want quick, the, the ability to quickly update, the ability to quickly design. Squarespace gives me that because I can drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. It's easy and they have 24 7 customer support award-winning customer support they have uh, uh, uh just uh, the easiest way to do everything you need on the web you can start with a template you can easily change it yourself they can you can build an online store it's great and guess what because you listen to our show we're going to give you 10 percent off your purchase you can build your site without having to give them a penny but when you are ready to use squarespace and and you finalize that site and put it on the web use our promo code which is jeff sent me j-e-f-f-s-e-n-t-m-e go to squarespace.com slash dlc put that promo code in at checkout you get yourself 10 percent off and you'll let them know that it was a good idea to support our show Really cool stuff. Squarespace.com slash DLC is the URL. 
And that promo code is Jeff sent me. It's all about that Nintendo. Uh, although I have to say, I think Horizon Zero Dawn came out and instantly for me became the best open world third person action adventure game of all time for four days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I'm still, I'm still a little early, uh, on in Zelda to declare it better than Horizon. Uh, I, I, that remains to be seen for me, but, uh, you certainly, Peter, mm. uh, gave it very rave reviews in your GameSpot review. And uh, I think it, it earned a 10, right? Yes. Which I believe is the 12th 10 in our over 20 year history. So, My goodness, that's a rare, what, rare feat. Yes. What were the first eleven other Zelda games? <laughs> uh, I think Ocarina of Time was on there. It's been yeah. a while since I've looked at the list, but um, yeah. And I also reviewed Horizon Zero Dawn, so oh, it was wow. a very interesting back to back. And you know, you mentioned that Horizon Zero Dawn felt like maybe the, one of the best open world action adventure games out there. And there was a point in time where I would say, yeah, like for me, that Metal Gear Solid Five uh, were kind of neck and neck. Breath of the Wild, though, has kind of rewritten the rule book. Wow. So wh- wh- what makes you say that? Uh, because, I, I mean, I, I've been playing it. Um, I'm blown away by it in so many ways. But I want to hear your take on why it actually rewrites the rule book. Well, um, at least so far as, I mean, I can start small and then maybe blow up. Uh, so looking at the Zelda series alone and Nintendo, uh, something that is really refreshing to see is that Breath of the Wild doesn't really try too hard to explicitly explain all of the rules you need to consider, everything you're going to encounter. It kind of just gives you the bare minimum to get you going. Um, Now, a lot of games can be obtuse and vague, sure. But the thing is, is that there is almost a never-ending stream of things to discover. I I have put 85 hours into the game, and every single day I wake up and I have texts from friends or things on Twitter that I had never seen before that, you know, that combine rules that I thought I was familiar with, but I didn't really understand how interconnected they could be on so many different levels. Um, so it's it's both a game that that's super dense, um, but you know w- within within that idea, it, it's a game that keeps uh, the sense of wonder seamlessly. It's just like endless. Like I I, yeah. I don't know when it's going to end, and um, you know yeah, Nintendo. This is the a game that has the biggest team they've ever assembled behind it. So of course it's going to have, you know, a lot of things to, to find and, and poke around for. That isn't but, necessarily always a good thing with the, those large team games. You know, sometimes that can, sure. a game can get, get lost in that. But I want to, I want to dive deeper into, into what you're saying because uh, it's something that has struck me as well. And, and I think what you're talking about with those discoveries is, is that for the first time a Zelda game and really any Nintendo game is built around a real sort of physics-based world. And things behave as you would expect them to behave. Stuff that burns, burns. Stuff that, uh, you know, rolls, rolls. Something that that blows in the wind is affected by the wind. Skeletons Uh, don't die until their head is crushed. It's the way (laughs) you think it would be. Right. And the the tools that you're given uh, very early on in the game allow you to affect those physical properties of things in really, uh, really profound ways. And as you said, you can combine them in, in so many different ways that initially you don't, you kind of, it's kind of not apparent 
how deep that system, those systems are that work together in the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you think, okay, sure. Wood will burn, right? But what can you do with something that is on fire? Like what does the element of heat then add to that equation afterwards? The devs called it multiplicative game design, which is a ingenious term. I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's fun and, to say. Uh, yeah. And I see evidence of their handiwork, um, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, for me, the, the, the first impressions, I'm only about, you know, I'm less than 10 hours into it, but the first impression, the things that as, as a seasoned Zelda player, as a fan of these games, you know, since I was a kid, the, the, the things that jump out of you right away are that the variety of weapon types and, and ways that you can tackle a situation. You have these tools, as I said, that, you know, give you certain powers over the environment. I'm being intentionally vague, obviously, for people that are worried about spoilers, but you are also dealing with just rudimentary weapons that all behave in a very different way. And having Zelda, excuse me, Zelda, having Link be able to, uh, you know, pick up any weapon that an enemy drops, and use that against them and have all of those weapons behave in very different ways and have different properties. And, you know, you have these range weapons, uh, you know, bow and arrow and boomerangs and stuff like that. Just the fact that you have to actually physically catch a boomerang when you throw it in this game now, it just feels magical. And I don't know why such a small thing has such a big effect, but you also, you also have, you know, like, uh, pole arms and and um even you know a, a farmer's rake or whatever that's longer and that gives you the ability to to push push um enemies farther back so just just that aspect of of dealing with combat is is different but also the enemies themselves behave in such unique and different ways uh constantly and the fact that there's actual living breathing ai in these characters i mean nintendo created worlds based around patterns. You know, for so long, it was all about patterns. And for the first time, it feels like these creatures behave in ways that makes you think that they are thinking. They wake up and need to go and grab their weapon in order to fight you. If you smack them and you physically knock the weapon out of their hand, they're disoriented. They have to go try to find their weapon or deal with it in some some way. It really feels like very dynamic, interesting events are happening throughout the world all the time. Have you seen a large enemy throw a smaller enemy at you yet? <laughs> no, no, that's amazing. Have you seen a skeleton pick up the arm of his fallen skeleton brother to attack you with? I have yes. seen that, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these things are just, they're incredible. Like this, this game, you feel so rewarded for understanding, you know, a small relationship between physics or systems, um, but the learning never stops. It just, it never ends. And so wh while you seem to be getting more control over the world, you really don't, you never really understand everything, which, God, compared to something like Skyward Sword, my goodness. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a big difference. And I, I loved Skyward Sword. I had a blast with it. But yeah. this, this really does feel like a, a giant leap forward. And it's amazing to me that Nintendo can constantly look at their tried and true franchises with such fresh eyes and make such huge leaps of, you know, this is breaking every convention that we believe Zelda is based on. Um, and I, not every convention, but, but most of them, I mean, the, the sort of template of what a Zelda game is, right? Um, okay, go yeah. ahead. It's got the stuff in there, though. Like, this, the traditional Zelda experience is buried within. Yeah. So explain I, that. I, I, <clears throat> well, you know, you've got the, the familiar, um, like, societies that you interact with. They send you on very familiar, there's like a familiar cadence of, 
you meet them, they explain their world, maybe some plight that they're facing, and then you right. go off to complete a challenge and you come back and you're rewarded in some fashion. And you sort of rinse and repeat and go on to the next one. Um, I think the difference here, though, is that there's, there's clearly uh, more focus put on everything outside of that, that construct. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What were you going to say, Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the the traditional Zelda-ness is there in a large, large way. And I think to some extent, the again, being like you maybe 10 hours or so into the game, um, you know, the, the larger dungeons maybe aren't as prevalent, but you have so many of the smaller things that, if you think about it, are the size of the larger dungeons, you know, back in the Super NES or whatever, right? Where you're like... Yeah, it's like they, they decoupled the individual puzzles from a dungeon and made them their own thing. The shrines, are they're like one puzzle... Take uh, they get longer than that. Okay. I mean, there are some shrines that combine, you know, mechanics and and, sure. and stuff like that. That and like are several rooms, but yes, largely they are smaller than you know the water temple or something like that. Right. Um, but they're still very much there, and it scratches that itch of that gameplay. And so I don't think they kind of threw the rule book out. I think what they did is they picked up a very blank book and smushed it on top of the rule book and all the rules spread out <laughs> and everything else got all mixed and, and swirled around. And then you're playing this game and you're like, what am I even doing? <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a less than less positive reaction so far. Christian, is that accurate? I think that Breath of the Wild is one of the best video games ever made. I think it will go down in history as one of the best video games ever made and as something that will be studied and aped from for years and years and years, just the way the original Super Mario was, the way the original Zelda was, the way Ocarina of Time was. Um, that being said, it has uh, its share of criticisms that I feel like most people aren't talking about or shining a light on because it is such an incredible game. Um, so I don't know if this is the part where... I'm not trying to poo-poo the game, but I think someone can do it better, whether it's Nintendo's next one or not. I think um, the breakable weapons make open-world combat pretty much pointless um, and not rewarding or engaging because what do you you get from it if you're just battling random people? Um, The game has frame rate issues on both the Switch and the GameCube that... I mean, GameCube. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why it doesn't play very well on the GameCube. And it (laughs) downright sucks on the Super Nintendo. It it barely runs on my original NES as well. Um, that, that, that are, that are laughable. I mean, they're, they're bad, at least docked on the, on the big screen. I guess apparently on, if you're playing tablet mode, you don't, you don't see those. Um, character animations aren't pretty at all. Um, the graphics, when you get into some of these shrines, it's just, it's just, it, it looks like the library from Halo. Like it's, it's just square blocks that are all gray. Um, the, um, progression system and the way that like everything is open, but not open is it's, it's kind of BS, right? Like you can go anywhere you want, except no, you can't. Um, the, the story is the same story you've done a million times. The character dialogue is still trite, redundant and overly long. Um, but the discovery and the exploration and the wonder and all of the, the those je ne sais quoi Nintendoisms are there that pull this together and, and I mean it sincerely make it one of the the best games ever. I think for me this year after I finish Horizon Zero Dawn, that will be a game I enjoy more. But Zelda Breath of the Wild is a better, more important game. Interesting. Um, I, you know, I agree with you in a lot of ways. There's a lot of, um, 
a lot of little gripes that I have, you know, like why, why, if my weapon breaks, does, does Link not automatically grab the next weapon in his bag? Uh, why do I have to go in the menu and then, and grab it? Why, why does, is the menu so tedious to scroll through? Why, why can't I just jump from tab to tab in, in my menu and get the next weapon type that I want? Um, there are a lot of little things like that that I find uh, very annoying and baffling as a game that has this much polish uh, on it. And it, and I think it's really unfortunate that Horizon and Zelda have come out so close to one another because these the games are very similar, even thematically. I mean, they're sort of like this, you know, a hundred years later, and there were machines that used to roam these lands, and it, there's you know husks of machine. It's like very very similar themes um, and then very similar types of games. You know, it's, it's, it's such a shame because each of them really deserves their own place in the sun. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, can't help but compare them in my head and horizon is such a tight experience, such a, everything is so perfectly paced. I think but, that's the difference. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, but Zelda, you know, there are those games uh, that come along every once in a while that remind me of when I first read the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit when I was young and I imagined what it must be like to like walk through Mordor, <laughs> you know what I mean? When I, or what, you know, go on a, an adventure the way it's defined, uh, the way very few video games actually define adventure, but this kind of feeling of like just striking out and on your own, you know, and, and wandering through and discovering things and surviving and all that stuff. And even quote unquote survival games aren't like that. They're much more gamified, you know, but the, the original, when I first played world of Warcraft low, those, you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was, that's how I felt like, Oh my God, this is how I imagined Frodo's adventure was just, you know, walking through the the landscape and exploring things. That's what Breath of the Wild provides. And it's, it's, it's an amazing, just sort of uh, aspirational experience to really feel like you are finding things and surviving and making your way by cobbling things together and, and moving on. It's a pretty cool feeling. My question Can to I, you – oh, go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. Respond. I just want to ask. You, you brought up something that um, has been really true for me. Uh, it, do you guys do a lot of, like, hiking or backpacking yeah. in the wilderness? So I, I did that a lot as a kid. Like, on the Appalachian Trail, I'd go out for about a week. I only did it about twice, right? But, you know, carrying everything on your back, you know, really just steeped in nature. And it totally brought back all of those feelings that I had where you, you can see a destination and getting there is a battle in and of itself. I mean, I think – you could make the argument that Breath of the Wild is one of the most empty open worlds out there. But even within uh, a moment that seems mundane and, you know, you could look at and just on paper sounds boring, they've, they've able to, they did something with nature in this game that is really special that really does capture the feeling of being in the wild, which, you know, a game like Horizon Zero Dawn, like, yeah, that's, that, there's a great quality about, you know, in the same way to that game. But that game was driven so much by combat, right? Like you were always kind of, at least for me, I was always kind of hoping for that next epic battle, that next big thing. But it's the little things in Zelda, right? It's it's just a the shape of a mountain. It's the the when the weather changes, like the moment it changes, and what you're doing has a huge impact on your mental state. Yeah, um, it's 
it's kind of remarkable how much they've done with seemingly so little. Yeah, and, and you, you, the title, Breath of the Wild, right? I mean, one of the things that I think is the greatest asset for Horizon is it's it, how tight everything is, how it, it really feels like there's no – there's no downtime. Everything is perfectly play, uh, paced. There's no, it doesn't feel like a slog. Every cool thing I'm doing leads to another cool thing I'm doing. And, and there, there's no filler, right? By contrast, Breath of the Wild does breathe. It, it is in those moments of, of letting the universe just sort of live and be. And, and I'm, you know, I'm walking through a field and, you know, a, a bird takes off or a bunny rabbit runs across my path or whatever. I kill that bunny rabbit every time, by the way. <laughs> well, it's delicious. it drops delicious raw meat that I can then put in my sweet cooking pot. I was like, oh, and I was playing with my four-year-old watching. And she goes, a bunny. And I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dead bunny now, darling. That's the world. Um, but but it's it's those moments of, of, of letting it sort of have these gaps between anything major happening where you are just like spending a few minutes cooking up some stuff and trying new recipes. And, but there's a, such a joy in that, that they have found. Whereas in other open world games that, you know, allow this, a same similar sort of slack between moments, I don't find that, you know, I don't find that generally in, uh, uh, you know, GTA, for example, when I'm, you know, I don't want to go and spend two hours playing poker in GTA or whatever it is, whatever stupid thing that I have to do, or, you know, exercising or whatever, you know, going into the store and trying on outfits. It's like, for some reason here, those moments are joyful. Well, that's the, the pro of, you know, I, I, I probably came off correctly harsh, but sounding overly harsh for my criticisms of, of the game. I think they are very real criticisms, but that is the joy of Breath of the Wild and this style of game that isn't pulling you forward with a tight, compelling narrative. And not to say that, the, you know, this, it's interesting, the world they created, but Horizon Zero Dawn from from the gun, and, and GTA even, um, you know, they have this really awesome, well-voiced, well-acted, um, animated, cut-scened story narrative that's pulling you along, that keeps you constantly engaged wanting to do this thing and and figure out the mystery surrounding Aloy and, and what happened and what is this world and you know you're constantly moving to this next thing so then it's like hey by the way go play this card game for four hours <laughs> you're like yeah no thanks the breath of the wild you're in this world where everyone is is you know like oh you are welcome part of the story is like get to know us <laughs> like get to know the place uh yeah there's that thing but come on and it's just welcoming it's open and that's that's the world it presents so those moments of doing that thing don't feel wasted because you're experiencing the thing and remembering something or you know getting a better uh you you discovered a recipe you're going to use later so it's in those moments of quiet that actually allow the game to to flex i think some of its biggest strengths of not constantly pulling you forward i want to ask you a question peter because um I think there's an easy comparison to be made uh, to the Dark Souls games, right? Or, or some of the the harder, um, the the challenge that sort of resurfaced in popular gaming in the last you know five years. And and I and, you know certainly a lot uh, has been made about how you know Link will die in a, in a hit if you hit you know, run into the wrong people or even the right people <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and and I have certainly died dozens and dozens of times already in my <laughs> my short playthrough. Um, 
I think the game does saving correctly. I think the fact that I'm never losing tons of progress every time I die is, is pretty, you know, blunts that sharp edge of, of, uh, frustration. But I think the more pertinent comparison to Dark Souls is actually in this feeling of, um, that you, that you brought up of, discovery and of not really laying things out for you, not really giving you much instruction, which I think is a huge, I mean, Zelda is a franchise that's famous for having a little fairy tell you everything and giving you like a four hour tutorial at the beginning of a game. Do you think that that is a reflection of the times we are in with games or, you know, where do you see that aspect of the game fitting? Uh, You know, the, the director behind Breath of the Wild is, I believe, the same from Skyward Sword. And I think there was near unanimous feedback that, look, this tutorialized intro in Skyward Sword is bunk. This should not be a thing. You know, you're basically not respecting your audience. Um, now, it might not just be that game. I think, yes, there is an atmosphere of, look, games can be harder, but not necessarily less fun, right? There's there's joy to be had in, in growing as a player. So I think it's I think there's two sides of the coin here. Um I got to actually speak with the director, art director, and technical director last Thursday. And, the, you know, not teaching the player was sort of a very core tenet of what they were doing. Uh, but they're always very tight-lipped about, you know, why they do these sort of things. They don't want to admit, oh, we made a game that didn't do it so hot. Or, mm. oh, the competition is inspiring us in one way or another. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, so like I have a little bit of insight. But, like, you know, I think it's just sort of, yes, the perfect time and place, but also... You know, for the industry, but also for Zelda. Uh, in the chat, the Brob says that uh, I think Zelda has a lot of similarities to Minecraft. It doesn't hold your hand, and and I would agree. I think Minecraft, you know, really was a generational shift in in how video games, uh, you know, what people expect of them. I think, and the fact that in Minecraft, there's always something new to discover, and there's there's always some new way to combine things. I think that does uh, it is uh, reflected in in the Zelda a little bit. Um, the the very early segment of the game, this is, I guess, a tiny, tiny spoiler, but it's really just the very, very beginning of the game. Um, you, uh, y- you know, y- you are literally given four things you need to do. And the way that you are told what to do is you go to the top of this very tall place and the guy says, find those things out there and mark them on your map. And then you, you know, you look through your little binocular thingies and you mark the, the places. And then he says, okay, now go do them. Bye. And... There is no explanation of how to get there. There is no explanation of which order you're supposed to do those things. There is no, there's nothing. You're just like, okay, I have now I have four points on my map to go to. And as you head toward those points in the map, you realize, oh, I, I will die if I just walk there. Because uh, maybe they're on top of a mountain that's too cold and you will die in the frigid air or perhaps they're so far up a mountain that you don't have the stamina to climb up there. And in any previous Zelda game, that means you're not supposed to go there yet. That means you haven't got the boots or the fire arrows or the you know magical power that it takes for you to get to that next place. In this Zelda, it means figure it out. It means be resourceful. It means we, the developers, don't necessarily have one way for you to do this. Uh, for me, uh, you know, uh, the first thing I, I did to get through the uh, the frigid air was I just st- got a whole bunch of apples in my bag. And I just ate a bunch of apples. As my health went down, I just kept refilling my health with apples. And I just coldly went to the place. 
little later I realized, oh my gosh, I can cook a recipe and I can do it right now that makes me more resilient in the cold. Uh, I can do that. Uh, there, there are, it's just sort of problem solving on an entirely different level because it's just play in our systems, play in the systems we've established. And Go ahead. Well, which leads me and, and, and Peter, I, we can talk around it without, you know, spoilers or anything. So as vaguely as possible. And, and you've certainly played way more of this game than, than Jeff and I have yet. But so I'm on a love hate relationship with that, Jeff. Like when I figure something out or when I do something, I feel on top of the world. Right. But then the mm, neurotic or ADD or compulsive side of me, and it's not FOMO. I would call it like fear of doing it wrong, whatever that acronym is. I think. Jeff, I was text- <laughs> yeah. You know, that famous one. Uh, I think I, Jeff, I was texting with you and I said, like, I had to get somewhere and I just, I keep trying to brute force my way. And so, Peter, my question is, like, I have this real fear of, of quote unquote, doing it wrong, where I'm going to get to a place where I'm so outclassed, so outleveled, but I'm progressing in this thing that then maybe my own problems. It feels like a huge step back to go back to the village to find the, whatever I need to do the thing to do the thing versus I'm going to keep hitting my head against a stupid wall because if I parry at just the right time, I will beat this a hundred foot snake skeleton, sun fire winged monster beast thing that I just made up. Like in your playthrough of the game, did you, is that a thing like doing it wrong or does it, it just keeps opening up and you're always the smartest person in the world? I mean, I am still just, I'm 85 hours in, I'm still discovering brand new things every day. So, you know, brand new problems to solve. And I, I think because there's a steady influx and I know that there's always a chance for me to do something, you know, like new again, it's as long as I can succeed in one way or another, I'm actually like stoked that I got past it. Um, so that's my problem though. I, I think, so I was in this shrine and I know I could have succeeded, but I played for an hour and like, I kept getting close and I was like, I can, I can do it. I can, but then I know like saying me knows, Hey dude, go find a heart, <laughs> like, right. you know, eat an apple, quit going in there with one heart. And I'm like, no, I got him down to one hit. Uh, right. it's like that double edged sword in the, well, in- going in there with one heart is kind of putting yourself at a disadvantage <laughs> with in, the game's not really on even footing at that point right i mean i think when you take care of link you you have perhaps more you know you're afforded more room to experiment and brute force your way through certain things um maybe a little bit easier than i know you're just giving me one example here but right yeah yeah, yeah. sure sure yeah i mean i i guess i always you know like one of the great things about cooking in the game is you can kind of always have a backup plan in terms of health and, Wait, that's the backup plan? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and even dealing with, uh, you know, weather effects like you guys were describing, or if you have to take elemental buffs or debuffs into consideration, I think you can kind of make Link like a, you know, a pack horse just filled with things that will help him get through anything. Oh, my Link so, is a total junkie. He is, he's an <laughs> addict. <laughs> uh, in the chat room, uh, Reach That Far basically has the opposite interpretation, Christian. He says, uh, no matter how I do things in this game, I feel like that is the way I was supposed to do it. The game was ready. when I succeed. He says, the game was ready for me to break it. And I think I, that's a pretty powerful concept. 
I 100% agree when I succeed. It's when I've played for an hour and I haven't done this thing and I'm like sweating, thinking one more time. Because <laughs> I'm like one hand held away from getting to the top of this mountain. That I don't know if there's anything up there, but I started climbing up it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, God dang it, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to climb this mountain. <laughs> I think about though, like when you're, you know, when these problems attack you when you least expect it. So take climbing a mountain, for example, right? Like you've got all the stamina you need, but then it starts to rain, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you're basically stuck on the side of a mountain. And then you're, you're faced with a decision, well, do I just warp out of here to continue doing something with my time? Or do I contend with the game as it's, you know, <laughs> as it's presented to me? And yeah. I think having, you know, to sit on the side of a mountain waiting for rain to pass is a, is a beautiful moment. And uh, sometimes you just have to let the game have its way before you can really go back to being the one in control. I think that I'm glad you brought that up because I had that exact mo- that exact thing happen to me. And I, I had this epiphany of like this, the game just literally, I can't do the thing right now. I mean, I, and it's not for any lack of wanting to, or, or this is the thing I need to do. And it's literally just the wrong time in this world to try this. <laughs> it's a, an amazing thing that, that, they're willing to put a player in that position to say, no, you have to deal with the fact that there's rain right now. Uh, I, I find that really uh, remarkable. Um, and a, a, just a different approach to situations that they would are willing to put a player in. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask another question, though, because Christian brought up another uh, gripe at the beginning, and, and it's one I share a little bit, especially with how close in proximity playing Horizon Zero Dawn is. Um, how do you feel about these vestiges of, of a bygone era still being present in, in the game? I.e., yeah, maybe one or two lines are voice acted, but uh, the rest <laughs> aren't. Uh, I was just, I hosted some stuff at GDC for Amazon. And one of the things that Amazon uh, was showing as part of their uh, game solution, they have a, a, an engine and a bunch of services for game developers. One of the things they were showing is if you can literally send text to the cloud with this, and this is not an ad for Amazon, but whatever. Uh, you can literally send text to the cloud with an emotional state and they will send back animation for your character that has a uh, like digitized voice and an acting like emotional the only way i talk to my wife now is yeah. using that service it's smart smart it's better way to stay out of trouble um <laughs> so their 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 whole position here is there literally should never be any character in a game that isn't fully voice acted because it, it's all automated now you can you can hire you know great voice actors for the main characters, but all those little side characters, you can just have the game do it. I was reminded of that playing this game where, you know, we're still, it's sort of sort of stuck in a lot of ways in an old paradigm, but we kind of give it a pass because it's Zelda, right? If horizon was like that, we'd be like, what the hell is going on with this? Uh, I think, I don't know. See, I, I don't see it as a problem necessarily. Um, it's, to make a uh, maybe a weird analogy, but you know, if I watch anime with subtitles on, right, I may not understand necessarily what the Japanese voice actors are, are literally saying. Now, I have the subtitles to provide that, but what I do get from the voice actor is, you know, a, a really strong sense of emotion. Now, for whatever reason, that doesn't always come through on the English track, but I get to also impart a bit of myself because I don't really understand what they're saying. So when I play a game like Zelda where a lot of NPCs have little emotes but very expressive faces and body language, I feel almost 
happy to to have that as evidence for the personality I create in my head and thus the voice I hear when I read these things. Um, and, you know, honestly, the voice acting in Zelda is is not good, in my opinion. Um, so I'd, I'd I actually hate to, I'd hate to have more of that because see, I think, <laughs> that would actually sully the experience for me. Uh, I think I love you, Peter, and I think we agree on a lot of things. And I certainly <laughs> have enjoyed your, your work over the years. But I, I feel like what you just said is, yeah, but it's Zelda. Because, come oh, on, the anime argument is, is is great, except for the fact that you're saying that people that speak the la- the language natively are getting a worse experience with anime. Like, the, oh, no, those subtitles are needed that. for if you, if you know the language. No, and, no, no, no. I'm not suggesting that by any measure. I'm just saying, for, for me personally, right, presented with a, an opportunity where I can impart some of myself into the character, at least, you know, use my imagination to fill in the gaps, I find value in that sort of scenario. So, I so think, would you prefer Horizon with uh, subtitles and no voice acting? As or is? Uncharted without voice acting? As is, I, I mean, that, that's really difficult to say. Like, I'm not one who avoids, you know, hypotheticals, but I think, you know, the evidence that I was, you know, providing... Yes, it's a Zelda game, but the things that happen within this particular Zelda game are enough for me to feel comfortable uh, not having fully voice acted, you know, NPCs all over the place. Um, it's subjective, I guess, right? So I don't know. It's I, mean, I think I, that's, and, I think that's fair, but I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that the, the industry standard almost has it's it's surpassed this point, right? This people, it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like a stylistic choice. It just feels like that's they're kind of stuck in an old paradigm. Well, so yes, I don't think that it is a stylistic choice on there. And I think it is a means for them to get around just what's practical. But, you know, when you're presented with limitations, you are given great impetus to be creative and come up with solutions to make up for those. Um, and I think that Breath of the Wild makes up for them. I, I agree. It is an amazing game. And I think the characters are well um, emoted. Um, but I, it, it, it's like I, I, Jeff, you recall, I gave Fallout uh, 4 a hard time for some, like, it, it's like, oh, the Bethesda jank. <laughs> we love it. And it's like, no, 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 we can't. The game can be amazing and incredible and a 10 out of 10, but we should still challenge them to do more. And I think sometimes when it is a storied franchise and, and one of, if not the best game ever made, like, I don't. I don't think you should give it a pass. I think you say what's awesome about the game, what's amazing, and then you hope for what could be better. Where, um, like, Horizon is, is getting knocked by people saying, like, oh, the character's not on the main storyline. Like, the lip sync is off. <laughs> and this is like, hey, the main character you're going to be interacting with for most of the game that tells you what to do is voiced, like, two lines, <laughs> and the rest is this still just like, here's two words, push A, push A, two words push a two words push a four words we'll give you a minute push a it's like come on we're past that i would totally agree with you if i felt honestly that something was lost um you know in the experience that we do have right now i'm a zelda fan like i have no problem admitting that but i'm not a zelda fanboy i have a lot of problems with a lot of the games link between worlds didn't like it i I, you know i couldn't get behind it it might be my favorite zelda ever that, yes, I know. That's a into a hornet's nest, Peter. Get out! Uh, yeah. The Link that's Between fine, Worlds, uh, it's a masterpiece. Sure. Yeah, I, and I don't necessarily dispute that it's got a lot of things that make it great, right? But I guess what I'm saying is I don't. I really don't make excuses just because this is a Zelda game. I think, again, the things that are there for me personally were enough to satisfy my desire for for getting into this world, right? For feeling like a part of it. Yes, you can compare it to a lot of other you know, games and say, well, this is the standard now. I think that's a totally fair argument. 
Um, but I think it just boils down to what you can personally get out of something. Um, do I know that this game would be better with voice acting? I can't say that I do. Like, that's not a guarantee to me. Maybe there is something in what's missing. Interesting. It's an interesting perspective. And I respect that. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Switch itself. I know that Zelda is really the only thing that I'm interested in doing on it personally, but I know that you've done more. Um, I want to bring up two gripes that I have that are just sort of general gripes. I know they're not really rational, but uh, one of them is that it drives me absolutely batty that Nintendo refuses to acknowledge the fact that everybody else says the bottom most button is the the primary button and the rightmost button is the get back out of things button. Everybody else does it that way, but they have to swap them. And oh my God, I can't tell you how frustrated I've been when I want to select something and I accidentally back out of it or vice versa just because Nintendo does it different than everybody else. Yeah! Fair. To be fair, uh, everybody else does it different than Nintendo. That's true, right? but... Well, if you guys play games in Japan, Sony games in particular, it's the Nintendo way. Well, can't we all... Okay, then whoever's fault it is, can we all just get on the same page, please? <laughs> can we all just make a decision and stick to it? God, maybe it's maybe my gripe isn't with Nintendo. Maybe it's my gripe with, with, with all others, but... I have been killed in combat numerous times as I try to select a weapon and then hit B instead of A and I back out and I'm like, oh, son of a oh, crap. Yeah. And I just like there yeah. with no sword. <laughs> it, it, it drives me nuts. The other thing is there really is no need for a 3DS now. The idea that they're saying we're, we're going to continue making 3DS games, there's no need for it. This is a very good handheld system. Just use this as your handheld system. <laughs> Right? It's, it's a incredible. little big though, and battery life honestly could be better. True that. I know there's I know there's workarounds for both of those things. And I'm not someone who carries a 3DS around in my pocket. I'm not a monster. But <laughs> Hunter. But, yeah, good one. Um I I think I think you're onto something here. I you know, Nintendo obviously has to keep people happy with the 3DS if they can't afford an upgrade to Switch or you know, it's they don't feel like now's the right time. Um I think it's, it'll probably be the next revision of Switch that really makes that argument and drives it home. Right. I don't know that the current iteration is going to do it for him. I, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, tell me about what else you've been playing on Switch because I have no desire to play anything. It is my Zelda machine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. What have you been playing? Um, played a little bit of Fast RMX, which is sort of a upgraded version of Fast Racing Neo, which was on Wii U. Uh, similar to games like Wipeout, you could even say F Zero. Although, I mean, yeah, F Zero and Wipeout basically. Um, the port of I Am Setsuna, which is the Tokyo RPG factory game that came out last year. Um, and this is the first time that game is portable in the U.S., which is great. We missed out on the Vita version. Um, let's see, a little bit of Bomberman, some 1-2 Switch. But that's all that stuff is like a you know fraction of the amount of time I've spent elsewhere. I, I did actually go into the Japanese eShop to get some Neo Geo games. They're not virtual console titles. They're not like under that umbrella. But the Japanese store does have some stuff, including these classic ports of uh, SNK arcade games. Uh, and those have been good. The strange thing is the color is a little washed out, hmm. um, which is hard to explain. But overall, I've had a really good experience with the hardware. But we can kind of agree that this is like the worst console launch of all time, right? Other than the one maybe best game of all time on it, it really is just ridiculous it's it's ridiculous that they put out this system with this little support right 
I guess. I mean, I'm going to be playing Zelda for weeks yeah. still. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. You can't. Uh, uh, that's what we've been saying for, you know since they. I know. Us, yeah, but yeah. Zelda. Yeah, but Zelda. But I know. You know, it's really strange. I do think it's smart though that Zelda launched with the Switch and launched with the new system because I think had Zelda, let's assume assume that Zelda was able to come out six months ago, four months ago, whatever. Uh, if it just came out for Wii U and they didn't do a Switch port and Switch didn't exist or Switch was a year away or whatever, I, I do think people would still be singing uh, Zelda's praises in the same way that they are right now, but far less people would even consider playing it, I think. They'd be like, oh yeah, it sounds great, not buying a Wii U, and now people are like, gotta get a Switch, because it's got that new tech hotness along with you know one of the best games of a generation behind it it creates this this groundswell movement behind a game in a system whereas if it was just a game on the wii u you'd be like yeah but it's five years old and eh." i I think it's an interesting mind share uh peter of the 85 hours you've played of of zelda uh, roughly what portion of it is in what mode like uh, on your television in your hand how how have you been usually doing it um I was playing it docked most of the time um, until the week, I guess it was last weekend or no, two weekends ago came around and my girlfriend was home. So then I switched to portable and I realized how much I love just to kind of tuck away into a couch with this thing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I like it. I like it portable perhaps more than on a television. Yeah. I've been playing by far more portable. It just, it just fits into my lifestyle more. And, And I'm so delighted by how quick the on and off, uh, you know, procedure is. It's not a whole production number to turn a thing back on and jump right back into where you were, which is, I think, the strength of the DS has always been the strength of the DS is, is putting it in that standby mode and just jumping back into your game. And the fact that they nailed that with this console is is really impressive, even better than I'd say, you know, Vita does it. It's great. Um, all right, Christian, I know that we haven't, uh, we haven't talked about Horizon Zero Dawn since you've been playing it. Um, so I don't want to give short shrift to that stellar game either. Uh, what is, you've, You've been in the, the the position that a lot of people have been in, where you're kind of trying to split your time between these two incredible open world adventures. Um, tell me about Horizon. Yeah, so I didn't listen to you last. You, ne- was it last you week? never listened to me. Um, what's that? I didn't hear. Um, <laughs> but I like purposely took headphones off because I found you know you had both played it, so I was like, oh, okay, uh, I want to have some of these experiences myself. Um, it is it is incredible what Horizon Zero Dawn does, and I will couch this in saying for a game because other media continues to do it better. Largely, I feel like in terms of telling a tight story and getting you invested in a character, but for a game that is especially a new IP that isn't relying on an idea that like, hey, this is Batman. We know his internal struggle, you know, and, and you kind of just use that as a jumping off point as a shortcut for connection to the character. The way that this game starts and starts telling, is it Aloy or Alloy? I think Aloy, Aloy right? Aloy. Starts telling Aloy's story in a way that makes you care about the character and understand her or allow you to role play as her and understand her point of view in the world. Like, I'm typically a mainline open world game person. Whereas if I get lost in the open world, uh, I'll get annoyed that I spent 20 hours doing something and I'm no closer to finding my son. And then I'll quit playing the game at some point because something else new and shiny comes out. But the way that they were able to reinforce 
Aloy's worldview and who she is as a character, I found myself very early in the game wanting to complete these these side quests while I had this main mission easy to complete right in front of me because that was who I was. That is who my character was. And at that moment in the game, the main mission wasn't like, hey, there's an earthquake, <laughs> there's lava coming toward the village. You better go stop it. And I'm like, yeah, but first these berries. Like it didn't, I didn't have that narrative pull. Um, but the way it sets you into her world and into her, her shoes per se is just astounding. And then what makes this game shine for me, Horizon Zero Dawn, um, and, and, and do it better than Zelda is, is that moment to moment combat. It is just exhilarating when you're in a field with, you know, it can be five small guys, one big one, one huge one that you're trying to figure out how to take down using all of the tools at your disposal. It just feels so focused and so beautifully executed. It's like you're a conductor of a symphony and you're in this amazing, graphically stunning world. And I'm playing on a, on a, poor person's ps4 uh so you know i should probably just throw that in the trash yeah, uh, it's garbage. <laughs> uh no hdr or anything Blah, i'm you know between throwing up into the bucket i keep for ugly graphics and watching this game it's beautiful um it, it really does feel like you're this 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 conductor of of death uh and also i think very smart for this game while there is uh human killing um the fact that you these these animals are robots Oh man, I get behind killing some robot animals every right? day. <laughs> yeah. Like don't get me wrong, I kill some bunnies in Zelda, but I do feel a little guilty about Are it. Are you going to be killing this, a lot of boar and uh, and stuff in in Horizon as well? Uh, you know, you're going to have to do that. Yeah, right. But yeah, yeah there's that also. <laughs> But there's something very awesome about like you're scaling this thing, you're jumping over to it, and you just like stab it in its neck, and it's a robot. So you're like, eat it, robot. <laughs> um, I'm also, you know, probably only ten hours into this, into Horizon, and it, it, it I golly, I wish these games didn't come out yeah. the same. They're so good, and to me, they're very different. Not very different. They're different in the way that Uncharted and Rise of the Tomb Raider are different. Like they're the same genre, and it's easy to compare and contrast the two. But calling them the same game, I think, does each a disservice. And I think the fact that they came out in the same week, though, and like Peter reviewed both of them. You know, you you got uh, Horizon, were able to finish it before Zelda came out, and now you're constantly making these comparisons. Their proximity to each other is, is very unfortunate. Um, um, yeah. in terms of their cross comparison but horizon zero dawn is a phenomenal game uh I, I am not reviewing either one but i don't know if in my head like one could be a 10 and the other could be an eight to me they're very very close to to perfection in in video games that i want and i love Horizon's story and it keeps pulling me forward and that's the game I think about its story, and then I think about the shenanigans I'm pulling in Zelda. Like, that's what I'm dreaming about when I'm not playing. Um, so, Peter, as someone who reviewed both, if, if it's possible to succinctly state, in a world where things have to get numbers, what held Horizon down and or what vaulted Zelda up and over in terms of separating the two? Because I think we can both agree they're both great games, but unfortunately, or fortunately, you live in a world where you need to assign differences in terms of value <laughs> to those great to that greatness. Um, so our value is not necessarily determined by you know we don't subtract things from ten. We don't start at ten, right? So 
it's not necessarily that Horizon Zero Dawn, anything about it, really held it down. It's the things that uh, Zelda does that feel uh, revolutionary, honestly. I mean, it's, it's a game that I think everyone should experience and I think will kind of reshape what they expect from the various genres it touches upon. Uh, meanwhile, I think that Horizon Zero Dawn is a resounding success in the things that it that it does, but I don't know that I'm willing to go to bat and say it's an important game. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Are you satisfied with that answer, Christian? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I haven't finished either, so I can't. I, you know, that's why I'm learning. I'm the best thing I can do is listen, and then I'll argue later on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> if, right. I mean, if you want, I can rattle off a few things that bugged me in Horizon Zero Dawn, but I don't think that's really the point. No, that's not the point at all. But right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're already running long. There's so much to say about both of these games and so much more we could talk about. Uh, we will over the next few weeks. But uh, right now, I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Mac Weldon. Uh, I'm wearing Mac Weldon right now. I never planned for that. It does seem like I wake up on Mondays and I put on my Mac Weldon. But that's just because I put on my Mac Weldon every day because they're the most comfortable uh, undergarments in the known universe. I really, really genuinely like my Mac Weldons. Uh, I think people spend too little time thinking about what they're going to wear under the clothes they actually think about wearing. Uh, but those are the clothes that really define whether or not you're comfortable, whether or not you, you know, smell bad. Mac Weldon, they have smart design, premium fabrics, antimicrobial uh, undergarments, socks, undershirts, underpants. Uh, this is the way to do it. If you're interested in uh, looking and feeling your best uh, and we're going to help you out. Uh, you can go to Mack Weldon. Oh, by the way, you don't, you know, Mack Weldon is all over the internet. So you don't even have to go to a store. This That's actually the best part, in my opinion, because I hate like going to a big box store and trying to find, you know, underpants. Nobody wants to do that. Why spend your day doing that? Do it in a couple of clicks. All you got to do is go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. And then at checkout, put in our promo code, which is DLC, and that'll get you 20% off. You'll feel great. You'll smell better. You'll, it, you'll look better. You'll, it's everything. It's, it's what you need. MacWeldon.com slash, oh, no slash, just the .com. Use that promo code DLC at checkout. Give yourself 20% off. I think that this first three months of 2017 might go down as the best first three months in the history of games of any year. Um, yes, Zelda. Yes, Horizon Zero Dawn. But Resident Evil 7? Uh Torment Tides of Numenera, uh, Ghost Recon Windlands, which nobody's talking about, but I think in any other time period, people would be like, oh, that's a pretty cool, interesting game. Uh, what, we got Mass Effect coming out at Neo the end. Neo was also like, yeah, it's like Neo. eight to nine to cross the board. Near Automata. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what is going on? And massively awesome VR games. Maybe one of the best VR games to come out. Uh, and it's free. Uh, Robo Recall. Uh, I can't believe that you guys aren't playing this as as one-time fans of VR. This is the jam. Yeah, I mean it's basically a wave shooter uh, and there's lots of wave shooters on uh, you know in VR, but this is the AAA awesome. We added some cool ideas to wave shooter wave shooter. Uh it's epic. Epic Games made it, so it looks absolutely stunning. I mean it might be one of the best-looking VR games I've played. 
it looks as good as a triple A game. I mean, that it just looks that good. And the concept of the game, it's, it's kind of a one, wonderful uh, tongue-in-cheek comedic look at, at this kind of genre. It's the future. A uh, bunch of robots are, you know, part of society. They help out. They're, you know, um, a, a whole variety of them, bipedal humanoid robots and other kinds of robots. And they are integrated into society. Uh-oh, except the company that makes them just had a weird glitch that happens and now they're all murderous and want to destroy humans. So you are an employee of that company that has to recall them back to uh, headquarters. How are you going to recall them? Well, you're going to blast them into smithereens using your variety of guns. Um, so you're deployed out to these sites where the uh, the robots have gone haywire and you're blasting away at them. But you're not just blasting away at them. You're also a, a, a super god of awesome and you're able to actually do it stylistically and, and you know, kind of have fun while you're blasting these robots. If they shoot bullets at you, you can literally reach out in the air and snatch the bullet out of the air and throw it back at them because time slows down. You can uh, grab them by various parts of their bodies, by their chest, and wave them around, throw them at each other, throw one into another and make them explode. You can grab their arm and rip it off and beat them with it. You can juggle them in the air by shooting bullets into them and, and knocking them. The physics is awesome. And all of those things are acknowledged by the game with these wonderful sort of comic book splash words that come up like uh, juggled or mega kill or whatever. Uh, it's just a wonderful symphony of death, symphony of destruction that you're, that you're conducting. And it is absolutely a blast to kind of improvise your way through this wonderful cacophony. I mean, it is, it, these robots are coming at you. You're grabbing one, you're tossing it to another, you're turning around, you're spinning around, grabbing a bullet out of the air, throwing it back at a guy, you know, shooting dudes, juggling them, trying to increase your multiplier and create higher and higher scores to unlock better and better weapons to progress through the game. Looks great, is an absolute blast to play. One of the best VR games I've ever, I've ever played, Robo Recall. Uh, neither of you guys have played these at an event or anything or, or seen anything about it? No, but it sounds very similar to super hot VR to a degree. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's super hot. If super hot had like photo real graphics sure. and they didn't have that thing where time stops unless you move, you know, it, it, right. But just like that, that moment to moment, like, you know, juggling a lot of different possibilities in, in terms of taking out your enemies. I mean, that sounds great. It's incredible. It's, it's really incredible. And it's completely free if you own Oculus Touch, which is a pretty cool thing. I mean, it's a very robust full game. It's a, it's a big, long, deep game. I mean, maybe not deep. It's, you know, a series of levels that you do the same kind of thing, but there's lots to do and lots to play and lots to unlock. So, um, Great game, wrong time. It's just, <laughs> I'm sure I'll play it. I just can't justify like, I'm like, hmm, I have this 60 hour game I'm loving and this a hundred hour game I'm loving. Let me play this other game that yeah. I haven't started yet. No kidding. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of uh, VR things I did at GDC. Uh, one of them is I got to play the very first bit of the gallery episode two. Uh, I have said uh, that I think maybe my favorite VR game that has come out yet is the first episode of the gallery, which is called Call of the Starseed, uh, which originally launched on the Vive, but is now also playable on Oculus with Touch. 
this is a um, an adventure game. It's kind of like The Goonies, but done in VR. You're solving puzzles. You're discovering things. You're uh, unraveling this mystery of where your little sister went off to, and you kind of uncover an alien civilization. And uh, the second one goes real deep onto alien civilization. I don't, I don't want to spoil the end of the first episode, but the end of the first episode is epic, and it sounds like – or. Not it sounds like I played the beginning of it. It picks up right where you left off from the first episode and really ups the ante. I was completely blown away by what I saw, uh, and I can't wait for this to come out. It comes out in the spring. So very excited for the gallery episode, too. I think it's called – I can't remember. Seed of the Ember Stone or something like that. Um, I also got a chance to do full body VR where they, where they put trackers on your your feet and your back, the, the new Vive trackers that uh, – that, Vive is putting out for 99 bucks, uh, which was really cool to be able to kick stuff in VR. Um, and I got to play Speed Vector, which is the new game from the guys that did Raw Data, which is like a parkour simulator where you're running as fast as you can through places and leaping off things. And it, it should be a it should be a, a guaranteed puke, but it, it they figured it out. It's amazing. So lots of really cool stuff to look forward to in VR in the next, next little while. Uh, as we're all excited about these non-VR games, there's still VR is going strong and, and really cool things. I want to read an email that was sent to us. This comes from Sterling from Dallas, Texas. He says, uh, hey, guys, I had no real knowledge of VR until I started going through the back catalog and catching up to the present uh, of your podcast. I heard Jeff raving about VR every week. I really didn't get all the VR hype, but the passion and excitement uh, Jeff had every week made me really feel like I was missing out, and I wanted to understand what he saw in it. I tried Oculus Facebook demo in the mall and thought it was cool but not amazing, but then I tried a Vive, and I played Raw Data, and I understood. About a month ago, I got the Vive, and I loved it. My girlfriend also tried it and is upset that I spend so much time with it, but she understands why I love it too. The point is... I was planning on proposing to her, but I couldn't figure out how. While trying out Tilt Brush, I saw something that sparked an idea, and the rest is history. I know it's been done before, and it's not mind-blowing, but it's mind-blowing to me. It sure, um, I'm sure that uh, if I hadn't heard Jeff raving, I would never have got the vibe, and I would never have uh, – I would have found some other nice way to propose – but I believe this was really perfect. And I wanted to thank you guys for putting so much love in the show and having the passion that you do. It truly genuinely makes a difference. Uh, and my, uh, and for me and my spoiler alert fiance. So congratulations, Sterling. He also sent along a video and it's basically his, his uh, girlfriend in VR in tilt brush, which is the, the artistic, like you can draw whatever you want in 3d. Uh, and he has a, will you marry me in, in tilt brush and she discovers it and says, yes, it's really, really adorable. So I thought that was cool. I wanted to share with everybody. Um, please email us, uh, 10 years from now. Uh, I still love my VR update on the marriage. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, what a horrible thing to say. Come I thought on, you were that's say, an easy joke. Jeff. Yeah. I thought you were going to you know, obviously that's the joke you're making is that, uh, you know, in 10 years when you're, you know, telling your kids about how you propose, they're going to be like, what? Why do you have this big toaster on your face? Jeff, we, love the show. A, yeah. Holy Can't cover. believe you guys are still doing it. Seriously, I guess your careers didn't go where you wanted them to. But really love DLC and the fact that it's still going. <laughs> also, wireless VR is the future. You're right. Do you know what else is the future? Wireless relationships. <laughs> I hate you, Becca. I... <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, come on. All That's right. funny. All right, all right, fine. Let's um, let's get to uh, the, the quick questions. Everybody loves the quick questions, and people have been sending them into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. So let's do it. Let's do some quick questions. 
If you want your quick question answered on our show, send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. First one, actually, we already kind of hit on this a little bit when we were talking about Zelda. Quick question comes from Veritable Hero. Uh, this was actually posted to our subreddit, uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. He says, subtitles, on or off? Peter? On. On, always. Yes. All right, Christian? 50-50 if I'm streaming, 100% on. If I'm not, uh, it depends if I'm like engrossed with headphones on you know with sound turned up or whatever then no but a lot of the time on because kids are asleep and i'm (laughs) i gotta just play a little bit longer uh i'm almost always off because i hate the experience of reading ahead uh and i can't stop myself from reading ahead uh and i want to like look at the cool you know animation or whatever and i kept telling myself to turn them off in horizon and i never did i played 45 hours of that game and I never turned off the, the subtitles. I don't know why. <laughs> I just never did. It's crazy. But I'm almost always off. Um, okay, quick question. What makes a good boss battle? This comes from Pathagian in, in the subreddit. Um, Peter, what makes a good boss battle? Uh, a good boss battle is one that tests the culmination of all of your abilities learned up until that point, but uh, also finds ways to be surprising uh, mm-hmm. beyond what you've seen. Man, I played one uh, just just uh, uh, the last night in Zelda, uh, kind of the first real big boss battle. It, it was an it was an elephant thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking in code for you guys, uh, and it just absolutely blew me away. It was so thrilling the experience of doing that. Um, but uh, Christian, what what is your uh, answer to this question? A hundred percent, what Peter said, and then I would only add. Um, barely finishing i love that feeling of like we talked about it for inside which is not a boss battle but like when dogs are chasing you and you're like i just gotta make i jumped and i made it like whatever that feeling is uh when it can happen in a boss battle is fantastic and then represented uh for me uh as one of the best ever is um all of shadow of the colossus (laughs) (laughs) one big boss battle uh, it's hard for me to say what makes a good boss battle, but I can tell you what makes a bad boss battle. So maybe it's just do the opposite of this. And that is uh, a thing that feels arbitrary and unfair and just ramps, uh, just creates an uneven playing, uneven playing field or that um, forces me to do something by rote that I haven't had to do yet in the game. That all of a sudden creates a new a new group of rules that changes things up to the point where I'm now playing a, a weird mini game that's not fun. Um, I think maybe the opposite of that then is, as kind of both of you guys have been saying, an extension of what you're already doing but amplified. So I prefer boss battles in games that aren't bosses but that are – we're giving you – you know, 10 of the guys that you've had to face only, you know, two at a time up till now. I much prefer that. I, I'll take the, you know, larger onslaught of people rather than one guy who now I have to find the glowy bits and fight, you know, hit him in a very specific way. I've never really thought that was the way to do it. That's very much Doom's approach. 20, yeah. 2016 Doom where it's like, oh, here's one big guy. Good luck. And then the next level it's like, oh, yeah. here's 10. Yeah. All right, quick question. Uh, as VR headsets become widely adopted, more and more kids are going to start using them. Most of the headsets say they shouldn't be used by anyone under 12. Do you think that's the right age? That comes from Ryan from Colorado. Thanks, Ryan. What do you think, Peter? 
I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Um, maybe it's uh, it's got more to do rather than like the physiological side effects. Maybe it's got more to do with, um, I guess, teaching a kid that like VR is the the place to be mm-hmm. uh, at too young of an age. Um, having that be maybe their de facto source of of uh, entertainment and gameplay. Like I'm not one to advocate against VR, but I think that you got to strike a healthy balance. But that's yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing I can really think of. It's tough. It's tough. I think that uh, 12 is because we really don't have a lot of data yet because these, this technology is so new. And I think they are really erring on the side of being really cautious. But uh, and, I, and I think that's probably smart. Um, it would be tough for me to tell a 10 year old no, uh, that they can't do it. But, you know, um, what do you think, Christian? I can uh, affirmatively say after years of rigorous testing, the actual age is four years and two months. Anything nice. less than you that. You are a doctor. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I played one once for an eyeglass commercial. That is horrible, by the way. That still runs from time to See, time. You're an optician. That's a... <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, n- no, it's not the right age. I don't know what the right age is, but there's no way it's 12. What the heck is happens at 12? Yeah. Like, it's arbitrary. Uh, quick question. This one comes from Giblet. He says, uh, if you had one game to show off to someone who doesn't play video games to convince them this is why video games matter, what game would you choose and why? Peter? Uh, That's a hard one. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Gosh. Um, you know, I read this question ahead of time and I didn't come up with a good answer and I just delayed figuring it out and I, I really don't know because a game like The Last Guardian comes to mind, but to show someone that, which requires you jumping over hurdles of, you know, controls and camera. Yeah. No one's going to do that. Uh, God, just, just one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough thing. It's a very, very tough thing. Uh, Christian, do you, I have a, I have an answer if you want to think about it for a second, Christian. Uh, mine would be uh, this top, off the top of my head, having not looked at this earlier, um, either a game like Tetris, if not Tetris or portal. Tetris is the objectively greatest game of all time. Um, we determined that. I don't disagree. Years. Yeah, I'm still on board with that. And I think Pe- Portal is actually a really good choice. I think actually a, a lot of people probably did use Portal that way. Um, I think that's a really good choice. Uh, I was going to say Civilization. Uh, and I think that it shows people that it matters in the sense of like, oh, I can learn about the world in a way that I really can't any other way. Like I, interactively, I can learn about these systems that – Oh, how governments interact with one another, how economies interact with one another. Oh my gosh, that's actually kind of enlightening. Um, I think that's one way that interactive entertainment can be a, a profound, powerful thing. Whenever I think of civilization, I just think about Gandhi wielding nuclear weapons. And <laughs> 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 I have a hard time taking it seriously, but yes. To everything you just said. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, awesome. As I said, if you want to submit qu- questions for us, please do. We love getting those. Uh, DLCfeedback at gmail.com. This has been Quick Questions. All right, we're going to wrap the show up. I do need to thank our final sponsor, which is Fireside. If you're thinking about becoming a podcaster yourself – or you're already a podcaster, you really need to know about Fireside because Fireside is a podcast hosting and analytics platform that was created by podcasters for podcasters. In fact, the guy who founded the network we're on right now, the 5 by 5 network, his name's Dan Benjamin. He created Fireside by cobbling together all of the information that he'd learned since podcasting from 2009, and he created the thing that he always wanted to use – 
Fireside has everything you need, unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super-fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support, free one-click podcast importing from Libsyn, FeedPress, Simplecast, and SoundCloud. Plus, you get uh, custom domain mapping, a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host, and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, time code linking, and so much more. Plus, you can try Fireside for free for seven days, during which time you can import your existing podcast for free while taking advantage of every feature that Fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan starts at just 19 bucks a month, and there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. So check it out over at fireside.fm slash DLC, and you can take the tour and use the promo code DLC at checkout for 20% off the standard plan for three months. Fireside, by podcasters, for podcasters. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But uh, Peter Brown, thank you so much for being here. It was a delight to have you. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is fun. Cool. Uh, where can people keep up with your work on the internet? Uh, GameSpot.com, of course, and on Twitter at PC Brown. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going up going on this week? Um, it, it premieres, I think, today or soon. I, I wrote uh, an, a sketch for Brad Gage and Anna Akana have a new sketch show called Search Bar that is on full screen. Um, I know the trailer went out today. I think it launches today. The episode that I wrote comes out uh, later, not today. But you can find all of the, those episodes. They come out on Mondays. It's called Search Bar with Brad Gage and Anna Akana. And I wrote for that. So that's cool. The trailer is out. Um, I got a sneak peek at the one that I wrote, and it is awesome it's uh i'm really happy with how it how it came out sometimes you write something and you're like i won't talk about that um but brad and anna are both just absolute treasures they're incredible and the way this thing turned out is, is awesome and then i still have a stand-up album people can still buy it's called we're all gonna die which is very true in horizon and in zelda so <laughs> it continues to ring true you can find it on itunes amazon and the google music store uh, that's probably pretty good jeff what about you if you want to hear me talking about movies and television shows, I have a another uh, podcast that you can download. It's called the Slash Filmcast. This week we're talking about Logan, so uh, definitely tune into that one. Should be a fun episode. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which is uh, at wehaveconcerns.com. And I have a brand new thing that's starting tomorrow. It's going to be every day. Uh, it is, is a small amount of your time, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun, real personal thing. I'm not allowed to tell you exactly what it is until tomorrow, but check out my Twitter at Jeff Kanata, uh, where I will debut that. It's going to, it's going to be uh, content that I know you will like if you listen to this show and, uh, it'll be an outlet for, for lots of cool stuff. So check that out, uh, at Jeff Kanata on Twitter. Uh, I will announce it tomorrow and you'll be able to listen to it tomorrow. So that'll be fun. All right, guys, let's wrap up the show now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Peter, do you have a suggestion of something that might not be a video game to help people get through their week? Uh, yes, I would say now is probably the perfect time to rewatch or watch for the first time Princess Mononoke. Mm. Uh, filmed by Studio Ghibli that I was reminded of quite frequently while playing Breath of the Wild. 
It is a beautiful, beautiful movie. It's 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 absolutely stunning. So yeah, great, great, uh, great suggestion, Princess Mononoke. I don't know if is that on Netflix or anything. Do you know? No, I think I mean because Disney's got control of it, right? Ah, so right. yeah, I think you have to buy the physical copy. Maybe they're on a service like Voodoo. I don't know. A lot of <laughs> Disney is on Netflix now, like Zootopia, Finding really? Dory. Um, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, not I Mononoke. Think. I can say that for sure. Christian, keep, a, keep a close eye on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Great movie. All of the Studio Ghibli movies, really. Uh, but that's a that's one of my favorites. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got uh, for a parting gift? The my four year old has got you know if we move she still loves a, a simple picture book and storybooks and stuff like that. But the things we've been feasting on right now is first we went into the Twits, which is Raul Dahl, um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, and Witches Fame among others, um, and craving more of that kind of story with short chapters and you know somewhat frequent picture but not dominating the page. We have dove into the Ivy and Bean um, children's book series. Hmm, never heard of it. Uh, New York Times bestsellers, there's a whole bunch of them, and um, they're kind of like, you know, kids getting into trouble, these two girls that are friends, Ivy and Bean, and they're they're fun to read for adults, you know, after like the fifth time, not as fun, but <laughs> my my four-year-old is la 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 loving them, so if you have a, a kid, a preschool-age kid looking for a new book to kind of dive into, um, I would recommend Ivy and Bean. Very cool. Uh, I am going to recommend for my parting gift uh, something that is on Netflix. In fact, it's a Netflix original movie. It's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Man, I love this movie. I mean, it is very, very rated R. So it's not, you know, not for your family viewing, but uh, it it hit me in a way that few movies do. Uh, it is, it's sort of about the, the a place that I've, I've felt in my life, especially in the last uh, little while where... You know, it, it just doesn't feel like the the world is fair. It doesn't feel like people are good. It just feels like everybody is trying to get away with whatever they can get away with. This movie is squarely about that, but it's also this kind of Tarantino-esque adventure movie. It feels like something that would have come out in the mid-90s after, you know, Tarantino was kind of changed the, the world. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. It makes you think. It's a It's a powerful movie in a lot of ways and uh one i can heartily recommend it's on netflix it's called i don't feel at home in this world anymore all right that's gonna do it for this episode of dlc thanks again to peter brown and christian spicer for hanging out with me thanks to all of you who uh, are in our chat room hanging out with us listening in real time making the show better we really do appreciate that uh, and if you are not able to join us live thank you for downloading the episode thank you for telling us telling about us to your friends and maybe uh taking a moment to give us a five-star review on your platform of choice it always does help we appreciate all of that we will be back next week until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place